Well, hey, good to see you guys today. How many of you are having a great day so far? Yeah. So I can just tell you right now, I have already had three cups of coffee, so I'm like ramped and amped to the max level. Who's with me? Yes. Yeah. Did you like the coffee today? Yeah. Yes, it was good. We're working, we're getting that improved. We're working on that. So uh, please t- taste it and be like, hey, I like this one. I like it a little bit more. I like an oaky aftertaste in my coffee. How many of you are coffee snobs? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, you're coffee snobs. Good, that's good to know. And uh, you know that if it comes out of a can and it says Folgers, that's not, that's not good. So we want to do better. Well, hey, we're so glad that all of you are here here at Regal. I want to say uh, good morning to our UO campus over at UO. Come on, Regal, give them a hand. Let's th- say hello to UO. Uh, thanks for being with us today, guys. We're so excited to be together. You know, today we're finishing up a series that we've been in for the last six weeks. And we started with I love my church and now and we, we went into I love my city. How many of you have been enjoying the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks? That's awesome. Eight people are excited here, UO. So you guys get more excited. But those of you that are excited, thank you. The rest of you, wake up. Come on, we're having church today. This is good. Please go out and get some coffee and come back in before I start preaching. Uh, we're going to do this together. But we've been talking about loving and serving our city. And what does that look like to love and to serve our city well. Uh, as a church, what does it look like to follow Jesus into this community and see heaven come to earth, right? Jesus, in his, in his great prayer, when his disciples asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, pray like this, Father, uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And, you know, I think a lot of Christianity, a lot of the, the misconception of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians is about Uh, us escaping the earth and kind of like, well, God, come and take us out of here. It's so messy and broken and nasty and gross. God, take us out of here to heaven so we can turn into fat little babies and play harps forever. But that's not the point of our Christian faith. The point is not that we would escape the earth and let it just go to seed and to be destroyed. No, the point is that we would see where we live, that where God's people are, it starts to look like heaven. Come on, somebody. And that's what we've been talking about is loving and serving our city well. But I think the number one most important way that we can love and serve our city is by sharing Christ with people that do not know him. By sharing Christ with people that do not know him. And I'm, I'm excited where I feel the direction of our church, where God wants us to go as a church is to become a radically, I mean, we're already evangelistic, but God wants us to be radically evangelistic. Meaning that we have a heart to reach people that do not know Jesus. And that's where God is leading us as a church. How many of you believe that right there? And you know that I dated myself because I said radical, right? Come on, that's tubular, right? Don't be bogus. Get excited. I'm a child of the 80s. Hello, somebody. Yes. But God wants us to be radically evangelistic. And the number one way that we can serve and love our city is to share Jesus with people. Did you know that God, he absolutely hates lost stuff? He doesn't hate the thing that's lost. He hates it when it's lost. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to go into a whole chapter of the scripture today that expresses God's heart. He does not like to lose things. And I'm exactly the same way. And you're like, this is the only way you're like God, Pastor Jake. Yes, you're right. The only way. But I don't know if, if you're like me, I hate losing stuff. Anybody with me? I hate it. Like if our remote control goes missing, I will literally tear the house down to the foundation to find it. Because God forbid that I would have to get up when I'm watching TV and walk four feet to the TV and turn the volume down. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? 
You know, if you lose your keys, if you lost your keys today, you're not here, so uh, you're watching this online. But uh, if, if you lose your keys, you can't drive anywhere. It drives me mad. You ever lost your wallet? You know, and that, or your purse, right? Guys, you can't carry a purse. You're allowed to carry a purse or a satchel. Uh, but, but ladies have their purse. And if you've ever lost your wallet or your purse or something, like for me, the world stops at that moment. If, if Bethany says, hey, I'm missing something. Um, and in our family, one of us loses things. One of us doesn't tend to. I'm not going to say which one. Um, but anyways, you can, you can just piece that together. Um, I don't like losing stuff. And so, you know, with children, everything is lost. Like nothing in our house is where it's supposed to be. Anybody with kids with me on this? You're like, hey, uh, babe, where's the, the remote control? Oh, it's in the freezer. Cool. Don't bat an eye. Because you know with kids, they, they live to mess with their parents, right? And, and things get lost, and I can't stand it. And you know, God can't stand it either. Jesus talks about this in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, about God wanting to deal with this problem of things being lost and how serious he is about it. And we're going to jump into that and look at that today. And if you're taking notes, you can just write in big letters the word lost uh, on, your, on your notebook or Bible or your iPhone or whatever you're taking notes with. Today, I'm rocking analog Bible. Come on, somebody. Not digital. This is, I just wanted you to know, yeah, I do actually own a physical copy of uh, the Bible. And um, it's actually my own translation from Greek. So that's what I'll be reading out of today. Just kidding. That's, that's a lie. Uh, I, didn't, I don't actually speak Greek. I only know a few Greek words like gyro, um, tzatziki, <laughs> lamb. Is that a Greek word? All right. But Jesus talks about God's heart for lost things, and he expresses it in this, this beautiful, grand story. It's actually three stories in the book of Luke, chapter 15. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's awesome, because we, we want people to come to church that don't know Jesus, maybe don't know anything about this, and uh, maybe Christians act like we understand everything here, but we don't. We're, we're learning, right? We're in school. We're, we're growing. But Luke was, was a physician, and he was a person that wasn't maybe contemporary with Jesus, but he knew the eyewitnesses that were around Jesus, some of his disciples. And so Luke compiled eyewitness accounts, and he wrote it down, and it's called the book of Luke because that, that's how you rolled back then. It'd be like if I wrote a book, it'd be the book of Jacob. Uh, if Justin wrote a book, it'd be the, the book of Justin. They weren't really creative with titles, at least not in the New Testament except for Revelation. That's a freaky book. Um, that's a really good one. But Luke wrote this book, but Luke is actually part of a two-book series. So if you're not familiar with this, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you have what are called the Gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus and his ministry and his life. And there's four synoptic Gospels. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and so if you read it in order, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you get this book called Acts. But actually, Luke was the author of both his book, Luke, and Acts, and it's a two-book series. It's a two-parter. And it was a particular style of literature that Luke was writing. He was actually writing something that was actually popular in the Greco-Roman world. Aren't you impressed that I can say Greco-Roman? Come on, cheer for me, please. I worked on that a lot this week. I pronounced it right. Come on, that was, give me more. I mean, more. All right. Help me here. I'm insecure. Okay. But it was a popular literary style in the, in the Greco-Roman world. Come on, one more time. Just, I got to hear it. Okay. Where you would establish the character of your protagonist in a biographical book. And that's what Luke is. It's a biography of Jesus. And Luke has selected very carefully particular stories and, and situations and eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And then his second part was the book of Acts, 
which is the acts of the church. The acts, I can't say that. It's not A-X-E. It's A-C-T-S. I just don't know how to speak. Acts. There we go. Uh, The book of Acts is the acts of the apostles and the church. And what Luke is doing with these two books is he's saying, here's the character of this person and here's what comes out of his ministry, okay? And so you have to understand when we read in the book of Luke that this is very carefully chosen. Obviously, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God was working through Luke and he was directing him to to select particular stories that would emphasize the character of the the nature, the, the, the feelings, the the worldview of the the main character in the story, who is God himself. And so when I say that God hates lost things, I want you to understand Luke is particularly pointing out that this is how God feels, okay? So let's jump into Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse one says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. We got any notorious sinners in the house today? How about you? Oh, we know some of you are over there. Notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, I could just throw my Bible down right here and preach on this verse right here, and maybe I will. You know, if you're the kind of person that notorious sinners do not want to be around, you're not like Jesus. Hello. You see, they often came to hear, to hear his words. There was something about Jesus that drew people in that were lost, that they wanted to to hear what he had to say. In verse 2, it said, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Everybody say, oh my. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was comfortable in the company of sinners. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was okay to be around notorious, otherwise known sinners. And he would even eat with them. Jesus was breaking their paradigm. He was... He was doing something that was getting under their skin. They didn't like that. And then Jesus expresses God's heart in this beautiful, grand story, three stories in the book of Luke, chapter 15. And we're going to read all of this together. So hang with me. We're going to throw it up on the screen. So this is the, the, the backdrop. The Pharisees don't like that he's hanging out with sinners. And Jesus says, I'll tell you a story. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. God wants to find the sheep. God will leave the 99 to go and find the one that is lost. And Jesus goes on. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner Repents. Again, Jesus says God doesn't like to lose stuff. And then Jesus tells what is the most famous story out of Luke chapter 15. Some of you know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But it fits into this, this narrative with these other two accounts. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this 
younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. When I was a kid in church, we used to watch these things. And this is like ancient history, but they were called the Hanna-Barbera uh, stories from the Bible. Any church kids? Thank you, Nikki Crossland. That's awesome. You're lame. Okay, <laughs> with me though. Yeah, same. We're both lame. Hanna-Barbera stories from the Bible. And whenever they would show people living wickedly, there would always be like a fire and then you'd see dancing shadows. <laughs> so whenever I, <laughs> come on somebody. Yes. And so when I think of wicked li- living, wild living, I think of dancing shadows. Okay. Hanna-Barbera, look it up on YouTube. All right. It says he wasted All his money and wild living, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This is for the college students, when when Top Ramen looks like all that you could possibly want to eat. Feed those those people over there, you owe. Okay. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. He's saying, I sinned against God and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So we returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Jesus says the father's waiting. He's watching. He's he's there. He's looking out. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. And that would be like my life verse right there. My life verse. We must celebrate with a feast. Amen. Amen. We just go home right there. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Come on, somebody. So the party began. But Jesus goes on. Meanwhile, it's like one of those old radio dramas. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Oh no, Miss Susie's tied up on the railroad tracks. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And Jesus drops the mic, and he says, story over. Now, 
we hear this story, and for us in our culture and our time, maybe we don't see the richness in the narrative here, but I want to do a little bit of just unpacking some of the things that Jesus listeners would have noticed about these stories. Number one, Jesus says it three times. God wants the lost. God wants the lost. God wants the lost. Now, you know, if your mama says something three times, she means it. Come on. You know how it goes? My mom would be like, Jake, slinking off, being naughty. Jacob Vincent. Uh-oh. That's like DEFCON 2. That's yellow alert for you Star, War- Star Trek nerds. Yellow alert? That's so lame, you know? <laughs> they had that, didn't they, in the show? I think so. Jacob Vincent. Okay, my ears. Jacob Vincent Schmelzer. Okay, I'm listening now. Three names. If mama uses all your names, you know you better show up, right? Anybody else have a mama that did that? Okay. Three times. Jesus says, look, number one, God wants the lost. Number two, God wants the lost. Number three, God wants the lost. He's emphasizing this. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to clue in that God has a heart for lost people and lost things. It's where God's heart is at. And then in the story, there's three protagonists and there's three lost objects. And the value increases in relativity. It relatively increases as the stories go on. Jesus says, The shepherd loses one of a hundred. The woman loses one of 10. The father loses one of two. One of a hundred, God goes after. One of 10, God goes after. One of two. The value increases as it goes towards a person. But Jesus is doing something here. When he picks these protagonists in the story, he's not doing it by accident or just because it's a good story. He's purposely putting the Pharisees on guard and kind of knocking them off their, their place of confidence because he selects three antagonists that these Pharisees are protagonists that these Pharisees would not relate to, that they would distance themselves from. You see, they, they considered shepherds and, and shepherding uh, to be a, an unclean profession. So this was not something that you would do to be respectable and, and upstanding. It was something that would kind of, so they're like shepherds, ah, those really aren't our people. And what's Jesus doing here? He's trying to say, look, you think you're on the inside, but you're not. And then he picks a woman and you're like, well, what's the problem with that? Well, in this culture, women weren't, as res- weren't respected and didn't, didn't have the, the right, you know, the place of honor. They didn't even value a woman's testimony in, uh, in court. And so it doesn't say here, but, but it kind of implies that she's maybe a widow and it definitely implies that she's poor. Jesus says, look, she has 10 silver coins. That's, the, that's all she has to her name. This silver coin was worth about a day's wage. And so this day's wage, I want you to imagine like if you make 3,000 a month uh, and you have, you have a, a third of that, 10, 10 uh, coins would be about a third of a month's wage. If you, have, if you make $3,000 a month uh, and you only have $1,000 in your bank account and you lose a hundo, you're going to look for it. Anybody else been po? You're so poor, you can't even afford the R to go on the end of it, Right? I remember being in college and it was like, man, I, have t- I make 200 a month. I am, I am rolling in it. <laughs> Xbox Live all day. That's what I'm talking about. Top ramen all day. Jesus says she's poor and she loses this coin. It's, it's a day's wage. If you lost 80 bucks or 100 bucks, you're going to look for it. Now, you're like, you know, we think of our floors and they're, they're clean. Not if you have kids, but you know, they're clean and you drop a coin and you could just find it. But at this time in in place, the floors would have just been dirt or they would have been rough hewn stones full of cracks and crevices. And 
the houses didn't have all these windows and light. And so she has to get this dim oil lamp and maybe had one little window. And so it's, it's dim. So she has to go on a search. Everybody would have known this. They would have said, like, man, she's really had to go for that, that one coin. Why? Because Jesus wants them to understand God will search. He will pursue for lost things. And then it goes to the, the story of the prodigal son and his father and the, and the older brother. And Jesus is moving towards this grand conclusion. But, but the Pharisees wouldn't have identified with this father. In fact, they would have despised him. You see, we value things like humility and forgiveness and mercy and love and compassion. Let me tell you why we value those things. Because our culture, even though we're a secular culture, but our culture has been shaped by the Christian worldview for 2,000 years. All of Western civilization has been shaped by the Christian worldview. How many of you like hospitals? Anybody like pro-hospital? So like if, you're, if you slice your arm off, you can go to the hospital. Anybody like that? That's Christianity. That's Jesus. How many of you like, like schools and education? That's Christianity. How many of you like taking care of the poor and, and helping people that are in need? Anybody? Nobody here likes to raise their hand. I'm just saying, come on, raise the hand. There we see. Okay. Uh, that's Christianity. You, you value these things because you've been shaped by the Christian worldview through history. Now, you, uh, don't take my word for it. There's some great resources that you can read. A guy named Rodney Stark, Dr. Rodney Stark, writes some great books about this, but you can see the influence of Christianity. So now, why am I bringing this up? You see, at this time, this is not a culture that has been influenced by Jesus. Jesus has just shown up, and he's just in his three-year ministry. And this culture in first century Palestine and Judea, they are not influenced by the Christian worldview. They're influenced by the, the Greco-Roman worldview. They're influenced by Greek culture. They're influenced by Roman law, Pax Romana. And it's all about strength and it's about power and it's about honor and avoiding shame. And so Jesus says, here's a father. And they're like, yeah, the father's gonna throw down. His son is a jerk. His son is so disrespectful and the son comes and says, dad, you might as well be dead. I want my inheritance. And if you understand the legal uh, ramifications of this, what the son does actually to take his father's inheritance early, what the father allows the son to do, what the son does is not just wrong and disrespectful, it's actually illegal because the father was still living off of this land. It was part of the inheritance that the older son would have had a double portion. He would have had two two-thirds, and the younger son would have got a third, uh, or, or two shares, and the younger son would have got one, but they were living on this, this resource. And so the son is actually taking his inheritance early, which is disrespectful, rude, and awful, but it's also illegal because he spends it and wastes it. And so the Pharisees are hearing this, and God's heart is being revealed here, and it's turning everything up and turning it on its head. And Jesus, they're, they're looking at the father like, this guy is despicable. He's a worthless father. What an idiot. Because what he should have done is he should have taken his son and beat him and disinherited him. What a worthless son you've raised, father. That's what these guys would have been, been thinking about when Jesus is telling this story. And Jesus says, guys, you, you don't understand. What's he doing? He's, he's distancing himself. Where, where this story should have zigged, Jesus has it zag. It goes all these different directions. Dr. Craig Keener says this about this Time period, he said, to ask one's father for one's share of the inheritance early was unheard of in antiquity. In effect, one would thereby say, Father, I wish you were already dead. Such a statement would not go over well, even in our culture today. 
But in a society stressing obedience to one's father, it would be a serious act of rebellion for which the father could have beaten him or worse. And so not unusual response, he says, would be for the father to disinherit his son. But that the father grants the request means that most of the hearers will not identify, will not identify with the father in this story. From the start, they would think of him as stupidly lax. It's like the people that are judgy in the grocery store. You're a bad parent. You don't understand what my, my children are demon-possessed. You know? <laughs> they would think of him as stupidly lax to pamper such an immoral son. Presumably, most hearers do not realize at the beginning that Jesus is depicting God's mercy toward them. So they don't realize that what's happening here is that Jesus is working this in. And he's saying, look, you guys think you're in. You're not in. You think you're on the inside track with me? You're not. You think you're good with God because you play by the rules, at least most of the time when, nobody's, when, when everybody's looking, but you're not on the inside. And so he's distancing these guys from this account, but it's all coming to this beautiful conclusion. You see, Luke does this, and, and, and Jesus did it with his stories. It uses what's called an inclusio, where the first two parables, the first two stories, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, they end... In a similar fashion, it says, the person finds what they're looking for and says, let's have a party. And then they have a party. And Jesus says, and they have a party in heaven when a lost sinner comes, to, comes home. Aren't you glad that we have a party, God? Yeah. I was reading this story. I'm like, man, God loves to party. There's three huge parties in one chapter of the Bible. Come on. Get loose. Get excited. And they have a massive barbecue with a fattened calf. If any of you are fattening a calf right now, we're coming over after, after this story. We serve a God that loves to celebrate. And story one ends with this rejoicing in it. And it kind of finishes up, wraps up. Story two does the same thing. And then story three does the same thing. But then it says, meanwhile. Because Jesus is coming to something here. And what happens in this moment when it says, meanwhile, what happens here is that Jesus begins to really deal with the people. Go back to verse two where they were like, hey, Jesus, why do you hang out with sinners? And Jesus says, look, here, I'm gonna bring it to a close. You see, the elder brother is a picture of these Pharisees. It's the religious people that think they're in with God, that they have it right. And that he, what you see here is a picture of somebody who's attempting to earn God's favor, to earn their father's favor by what they have done for him. Religion is always about, well, if I play by the rules and I do the right moves in worship, and I pray for the right amount of time uh, in the morning, and I read my Bible every day. If I do all the stuff right, if I, don't, if I don't lust, if I don't watch bad shows, if I do it all right, then God's gonna, he's gonna give me something. See, the elder brother, he says, Father, he's mad. He says, I've slaved for you. Did you know that if you're a Christian and you feel like God owes you something, you don't understand Christianity at all. See, the only thing that we are owed is an eternity of separation from God. That's all that we're owed. That's what we deserve, every single one of us. Regardless of whether you, you know, have been a basically a good person, what does that even mean? It just means there's some bad stuff in your life. The elder brother, Father, I've slaved for you. You never gave me what I wanted. It's not about relationship with the Father. Jesus says, look, guys, why do we hang out with sinners? Because you don't get it. Well, Jesus, we've been, we've been following God's laws. We've actually figured out how to delineate them into over 600. 
At this time in Second Temple Judaism, they had over 600 commandments. Could you imagine if you came in to Joy Church and were like, hey, good morning, welcome to Joy Church. Here's your coffee, here's your donut, here's your 600 commandments. Get back to me next week when you've memorized them. And they're like, Jesus, we've done everything right. The older son, father, I did it all right. You didn't give me though what I was owed. You didn't even give me even a stinking goat to have a party with my friends. And the father said, dear son, dear son, you've always been with me. You see, the, the older brother wants to distance himself. He says, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours. And he wants to be a slave, not a son. You see the juxtaposition? The, the, the younger son is broken and he says, I want to be a servant. I want to be a slave. The father says, no, you're a son. The older son says, I've been a slave, so I should be a son. The father says, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't serve to get in with God. You serve because you already are. Why do my kids have to do chores? Not so they can earn their right to be schmelzers. No, they do chores because they are schmelzers. Come on, because they already have full refrigerator rights because I would literally die for my children. Because if they were lost, I would be out there. Where's my son? Where's my, where's my daughters? If my kids were lost, what would you do for your kids? What would you do for your kids? You see, Jesus wants these guys to understand God would do anything. He would break all the rules even. because he loves his sons. You know the, the meaning of this story? People mess it up all the time. They say, oh, it's the story of the prodigal son. Sure, that's one part of it. But did you know this story is not about one lost son? It's about two lost sons. Because Jesus wraps it up. And with these Pharisees, he leaves it open-ended. We don't know how the older son responds. Jesus doesn't say, so the older son got a good attitude humbled himself and said, dad, guess what? I want to come in. But the implication is that that's available. The good news for you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you like me tend to be this older brother who's like, God, what are you doing with this person? God, I've been in here serving. God, I came at set up at 6 a.m. I've been in here. God, I, I've slaved for you. If you were like me and you tend to kind of fall into that sometimes, here's the good news. The party is open. And if you're like this prodigal and you are literally rendered down to starving to death spiritually, maybe even physically, and you're broken and you're just here today and you're like, I need something. I need Jesus. I need God. I don't even know what I need, but I need something. Come on. God wants you to know that he's been standing out there. And when you walk into this place, when you open your heart and mind to him, he said, get the best robe. Come on, get, some, get, this, get this guy some Nikes. Get him a big fat ring for his finger. Because that's my son that was lost. That's my daughter that was lost. And now they're found again. And everybody's invited to the party. That's God's heart for this city. Everybody is invited to the party. Come on, I'm preaching good today, somebody. When did church become more about the found than the lost? See, we mess it up. If we think, oh, there's some are in and some are out. We've blown it. We've missed it. We're all out. The only way we're in is when, we, when we're in Christ in the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. I want to ask you this question. Do you hear the cry of the lost people in this city church? Do you feel the aching and the burden and the brokenness in our city? Do you know people are dying and entering a Christless and godless eternity forever 
People are living in quiet desperation and hopeless. Maybe everything looks good on the outside, on the surface, but it's, there's so much brokenness on the inside. I hate to admit this, but, you know, with, with young kids and through raising kids, you know, I, there's been moments where you hear your kids crying at night. You know, you hear them crying, and, and I'll pretend to be asleep. <laughs> and if Bethany starts stirring, I'm just like, act like I'm still asleep. So she'll take care of the problem. I think that's what we do with lost people, what we do in our relationship with God sometimes, is we pretend to be asleep. Oh, God, you know, I think uh, somebody might be crying for you. Uh, hopefully somebody will take care of that. Oh, God, you know, I couldn't be the one that would share, share your love with that person. I'm going to pretend to be asleep. Oh, I'm just too busy with my business. Oh, sorry, God, uh, I know that your, your son is lost, but I'm sorry, I, I had something better to do. I'm asleep. Do you hear the cry? I mean, when you just really quiet yourself, I have a, a, a big leather chair and I sit there for my, my daily devos, my devotions every morning, and I sit in that chair and I can look out into our neighborhood and I pray for people and I just kind of close my, my physical eyes and open my heart and mind and I think about this city and I can hear people, I can hear people in our neighborhood that are lonely. We invited our neighbors to a barbecue and 23 of our neighbors came. And there was like 20 of us from Joy Church. So we had 40 people on our front lawn. People are bringing us wine. I'm like, I don't even drink, but thanks. Cool, what do you do with this? Anybody want some? Yeah. Um, you know, and we were like so surprised. And all of us from the group, our Joy group, we were like, hey, people are just lonely. I had neighbors were like thanking us. Thank, why you, thank you for doing this. We didn't preach. We didn't do anything. We just gave them, we just preached through good food. Ed Dasso was working the grill, making shrimp. Come on. God's glory right there. Aren't you glad you're a Gentile? Need some shellfish. People are hungry for, for relationship. Are we going to answer the call? You know, we talk a lot here at Joy Church about following Jesus. Following someone is about going to the destination they're going to. And I think what, what Jesus says very clearly is, look, I'm going for the lost. I would leave 99 and run after one. I would, I would leave nine and go after one. I would leave one and go after one. I, I, I'm going for lost people. That's where the heart of God is at. And if we're following Jesus, we're gonna move that direction as a church, as individuals. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, he that wins souls is wise. He that wins souls. Let me just tell you right now, do you wanna absolutely wake up on fire every day for your life? Let me just tell you right now, you have been infused. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been infused with kingdom purpose you are called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that even mean? I'm not a preacher. No, that's good. I'm glad you're not. It's actually harder to reach people as a preacher. I mean, if I tell people what I do, they're like, oh, whoop, whoop. stop cussing, stop acting bad. I'm like, hey, just be real. I'm a real person too. But you're like working at a mechanic shop or being a school teacher or an investment banker or whatever you do, a bus driver, whatever you do. And you are out in this beautiful city and there's lost people all around you and God has placed you there as an agent of subversive good to break down the kingdom of darkness and just absolutely infuse our city with God's love and his grace and his mercy. He that wins souls is wise. You wanna wake up excited about your life? Connect with this reality that no matter what you do, there's a higher purpose involved with it and you are called to that purpose and God has equipped you and enabled you to do that. Amen. You know, this morning as we close, I hope God's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. 
And as I said, as a church, we want to make this move and become radically evangelistic. And one of the ways we're going to do that is the next series that we start. So starting next Sunday is a series called You Can't Say That in Church. And what you might have seen some of the Facebook posts and things like that. Uh, you can't say that in church. What's that about? It's that some people, a lot of people feel shut down, like these questions that they have. What's the deal with the Bible? Hey, what about hell? Hey, why does God allow people to suffer? Uh, these kind of things that people wrestle with. And you'd be surprised how many people are wrestling with doubts and questions that keep them from faith in Christ. We're going to talk about these questions over the next five or six weeks during this series. You can't say that in church. And here's what I want to ask you to do. We have these invite cards. They're a little uh, business card size. They just have the name of the church. That series says Tough Questions, Honest Answers with our info on there and the website. I want you to find people that you know in your life that do not know Jesus, that potentially have questions that are skeptical, maybe someone who's even told you they're an agnostic or an atheist, and I want you to tell them, hey, come to my church with me. Uh, I'll get you some coffee and donuts. It's free, so you're easy there. Uh, Come to my church with me because we're going to open up these tough questions, and then even if we don't cover the question that that person has on a Sunday, we're going to have Uh, an email address that's available to send those questions into, and then I'll be answering questions and taking on the questions online during our Monday moment, uh, probably more of like midweek moment because we'll get questions. And and are we going to have perfect answers for everybody? Probably not, but we're going to do our best. Why? Because we want to connect people with Christ. So church, here's what I want to challenge you to do. These are going to be available for you out at the next table right after service. Go and grab some of these. And here's what I want you to do. Maybe don't grab like 10, because we don't want to just, you know, drive by people with these things. Um, Grab maybe two or three, and I want you to pray and say, God, give me a name and a face, somebody that I love, somebody that's a neighbor, a friend, family member, and have a conversation. You see what I'm saying? Not just like, hey, Jesus loves you, you know, bye. (laughs) Have a conversation. Where are you at with faith? Where, Where are you at? Where are you you at? Do you have any questions? Because we're going to talk about this at church. People are going to get saved. People are going to have obstacles and barriers removed. People are going to take steps towards God next Sunday, all through this series. Are you with me? Amen. Amen.